Welcome to First and 30. I'm Nick. And I'm Antonino. We're two 30-something-year-old guys who take the best ultimate reality television show in this hemisphere, American football, through four uncensored downs of mostly unbiased opinion and some analysis. In a game broken down into 10-yard segments, we take it with you one step at a time. That's First and 30. Let's Let's go go for it. it. All right, welcome to Wild Card Weekend, episode 10 of the First and 30 podcast. This is Nick, the voice of Radio Ocasio, joined with my companion over here, Antonino, the podfather, DeSandro. Antonino, how you feeling, man? Wild Card Weekend. Super Wild Card Weekend, might I add, and it was quite that. I think we had a ton of good matchups and uh, excited to dive right on in. Yeah, man. And I'm joining you here, just for our listeners, joining you live from San Diego, California, where the weather is sunny and warm. But I hear back in Maryland, you're dealing with a little bit of a snow. Yeah, we got a little bit of a snow coating here. Went for a walk with my uh, Husky. I know he enjoyed the snow, but I'm excited to uh, feel all the good energy and good vibes you have going from the sun over there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, it's well, like, 8 30 right now in the morning while we're recording this so i'll have to get out get some sunshine get my coffee going but uh good to good to be out here visiting some family but without further ado man uh wild card weekend big matchups there are actually a lot of blowouts which was a little disappointing i'd say there was probably only one really good game over the weekend that we'll touch on here and uh later on our down so without further ado let's hop into it First down, high hopes. High hopes, high hopes. It's home from earth we go. How could we not talk about the Detroit Lions defeating the LA Rams 24-23? Both teams had high hopes entering into this game, but for Detroit, there was a little bit more on the line. This was their first playoff win in 32 years. And yes, first playoff win in 32 years. So Antonino, what's just your instant reaction to this for the Detroit Lions and their fan base? I couldn't be more happier for the city of Detroit, Eminem, everyone involved here. (laughs) Uh, I can relate personally. My Bengals went 30 plus years without a playoff win up until just a couple years ago. And I was in Cincinnati for that game and people were crying tears of joy just i can only imagine detroit was popping off last night and i, and I couldn't be happier well yeah even going into the game you know the big storyline was matthew stafford's homecoming and we chatted about this in one of our previous episodes last week how this was uh you know he spent 12 seasons with the lions I was kind of curious as well to hear what the fan base reaction was going to be going into this one. They ended up booing him, which that was a little shady. I didn't think that was called for given what he's provided that city. And he didn't really have a choice in the trade either. But yeah, the Lions fans coming into this super excited about the opportunity to host a playoff game, which they haven't done in forever too. And having that other storyline in play with your, all pro quarterback for 12 years stepping onto the field as your opponent it was it was quite a 
quite entertaining, quite interesting, and very emotional, I'm sure, for the fans there. You know, why can't we just all get along here? You know, a lot of trades were quick to point out they lost this trade. They won this trade. They made a terrible decision. But in this case, both quarterbacks went on to have success. So let's just be happy. We have a win-win situation here. Detroit, he gave you 12 years of service. You know, booing him, not exactly the the classiest thing I've ever seen. But everyone's, it's a win-win. Everyone's happy. Jared Goff, Matthew Stafford. Let's, Let's just all have some peace and harmony here. Do you think this cements that trade as a win-win, though? Uh, prior to it, I know we were talking about it too last week, but prior to this game, there were there was probably more evidence and argument that the Rams won the deal because Stafford led them to a Super Bowl victory, which is the ultimate reward for something of that nature. But do you think now, in your mind, Detroit has equaled the playing field in a sense with Jared Goff getting this win against Stafford and the Rams. What Jared Goff has been able to do in Detroit is more than just wins and losses. He's changing the culture in that city, that mm-hmm. team. It's, it's a culture shift. And not only Jared Goff, but the head coach from top to bottom. This is the brand new Lions, as I like to say. And you <laughs> saw evidence of that throughout the game uh, from the head coach going forward on fourth down, both running backs getting involved, the receivers making plays. And I have to make a point to mention that one unexpected hero came out of this game, and that's the Detroit Lions defense. I don't think yeah. anyone saw that coming. Yeah, especially in the first half. It was kind of looking like it was going to be a shootout. I know while I was watching, I, I looked over to Sammy, and we were both like, Sammy, my brother-in-law, I was like, what, what was the over-under? on this game <laughs> like well, because it seemed like these two teams were about to put up a you know a 70 point performance altogether but yeah the you got to give the Lions credit they showed up in the second half the defense became pretty stingy and uh, I agree with that culture and that mindset if you recall when Dan Campbell became the head coach and he was sitting there on his press conference he kind of became a meme with all of this stuff he was saying about like biting kneecaps and mm-hmm. the scrappiness. And after that first season too, Detroit had a tough run of uh, the first season going into Dan Campbell's second season, but they had a nice run at the end of the year. So there were a lot of prognosticators that were probably jumping onto the airwaves, making that argument that, yeah, this guy's kind of nuts, you know, but he, he has instilled that culture of toughness and grit a determination not to give up in these moments too. Uh, so I do agree with you there. Yeah, it, it was yeah. it was kind of cool just to see them turn things around there in the second half and the defense standing up. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned busting kneecaps because throughout <laughs> the game, Rams players were dropping like flies here. Stafford hurt his hand. Then he got hit and his eyes rolled back. He might have got concussed. Kyron Williams, he hurt his hand and was out for the rest of the game. Higby tore an ACL. Puka went down. So busting kneecaps, yeah, he went down. Luckily, he came back, but yeah, busting kneecaps. Rounding this this down out, huge win for the Lions and for the Detroit fan base. I couldn't be happier for them. And as we're going to cover here in one of our later downs, I'm probably going to be rooting for them now in the playoffs since uh, my (laughs) team didn't quite show up. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Yeah. So, all right, Antonino, first down's up. Second down, they are who we thought they were. But they are who we thought they were. 
and we let him off the hook. So the Miami Dolphins came into Arrowhead with negative four degree wind chills and frigid cold conditions, having to not only play in that environment, but up against a quality opponent. And as we have seen this season, the Miami Dolphins are who we thought they were, and they could not beat a good team. What are your thoughts here? The Miami Dolphins just did not get the spark they needed. The spark that they constantly got throughout the year, the big plays never came today on, like you said, that frigid day out in Kansas City. Um, Miami Dolphins, maybe they're just meant for warm weather. I know they have 11 straight losses and temps 40 and below. I don't know. This just isn't a December-January team, and they have the longest active playoff streak without a win now Detroit passed that to the Miami Dolphins so now hey we got to ask some questions to these Dolphins Mm -hmm. here when's it going to happen is this the team is this the quarterback a lot of questions in Miami yeah so I want to get on to uh here in a minute but just to kind of push our point across with Miami and I'm glad that you mentioned their record uh, in cold or climates and conditions but this season, they went 1-6 and six and averaged only 15.1 points per game on offense against teams with a winning record. Now, mm-hmm. against the rest of the teams that they played, they went 10-1 and one and generated 35.5 points per game. That is a huge swing in dichotomy. So the narrative around them all season was that they could not beat good teams and that they did not perform well against quality teams. The numbers don't lie here. The offense was like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. They were two-faced. But, you know, when they're playing against a, a lower-level opponent, they were generating you know, 35.5 points per game. Uh, you know, that could have been inflated a little bit with that game against the Broncos, too. And Denver ended up having a losing record when it was all said and done. But still, uh, this was pretty wild. Uh, I'm not too sure what the reasoning behind it is. Maybe... Better coaches, better teams figure out Mike McDaniel's system. But nonetheless, I thought that was an interesting statistic. Yeah, especially you mentioned one in six. And I think that one win was against the Cowboys. Okay. So no pun intended. <laughs> yeah. We'll get to I that think, later. I think there was a pun intended, but I'll let it go. <laughs> so, but like, Leah, like you said, against big teams, they just didn't come to play. Uh, despite all of that, the game was close in the first quarter, second quarter. Uh, they hit Tyreek for a 50-yard pass, played their one play of the game to cut it to 10-7. to seven. And then same thing that Kansas City did to the Bengals. They just bludgeoned them with those field goal kicks um, to slowly build that lead. And at half, it was 16-7. to seven. But the whole time, I'm thinking it's still a game. Miami's going to make a play. You know, they have all these playmakers like we mentioned. But I need to find out. Where is Jalen Waddle? Like, we got to put this man on a milk carton because he has been MIA. I think he only had one rush, two catches. Man, talk yeah. about not showing up in big games. Well, to Jalen Waddle's defense here, he didn't miss the previous two games with injury. So he was presumably playing a little banged up in this one and giving it a go since it was a playoff matchup. 
So that that was a storyline, I think, for these Dolphins heading into this game. They were down their top three pass rushers. So no Jalen Phillips. You know, he tore his uh, Achilles in that game against the Jets on Black Friday. Bradley Chubb was out too, season-ending injury. Andrew Van Ginkle. So all three of their top pass rushers out. Then you had Raheem Mostert and Jalen Waddell, who had missed the previous two games, presumably playing through those injuries. And that vaunted rush attack for the Dolphins, they were a top five rushing team during the regular season. They only generated 48 yards with Devon A-Chain and Mostert. They really couldn't get the ground game going at all. I mean, look at A-Chain. I think he had six carries for like eight yards. On the season, he was averaging about eight yards a carry. So he just did not show up either. And then you have Jerome Baker and Xavier Howard, two key defensive players for the Dolphins, also out in this one. So you could point at injuries as being another factor to the Dolphins' downfall. But I want to shift gears real quick before we, we head into third down here. And I want to focus on that that point that you made about Tua. What do you think, man? Do you think he's the answer? They're going to have to pay this guy next season. If they don't think he's the answer, then what are your options? <laughs> yeah, it's tough to say that a quarterback's not the answer after seeing how good of a season he had statistically. But I think when you look beyond the statistics, you're seeing maybe a limitation of sorts with Tua. Um, And that's going to be the debate. Like you said, they have one more year left. It's the fifth year option on his rookie deal. So the countdown begins. There's one year. um, It's a prove it year. So if they don't win a playoff game again this coming year, if the coach doesn't get the, the missing pieces, shall you say, uh, heads are going to roll. And I think he would be the, the first in line to roll. Yeah, well, he led the league in passing yards. Statistically, he was one of the better quarterbacks. And I think Dolphins fans, if they didn't have all this context and they were to look at to his stats at the end of this season, they would probably say, oh, he's our guy. He lit it up this season. He did everything that we could ask of him. But in games like this, we saw some of the flaws and the decision making. Uh, they were they had a chance in this game against the Chiefs, albeit it was a long shot. But when it was 19 to 7, They had a drive formulating, but it took them forever to get downfield. Regardless, they had a fourth down play on that drive. And Tua inexplicably throws an eight-yard slant pass to Cedric Wilson, which probably would have been stopped short anyways. But what are you thinking in that position? Why are you throwing it short when you're on a fourth and plus play? I did see that play. I was extremely confused. I was waiting for the hook and ladder. I thought he was going to catch it and maybe pitch it to someone coming around, but that never happened. It just seemed like they were flat the entire game. Yep. And uh, they pretty much finished the season that way, too. I know at one point they had a three-game lead on the division with five games left and let it slip from their hands. Maybe, just maybe, if they had that home game in Miami, we would have had a different outcome. Yeah. Well, it's unfortunate for the Dolphins. All their offense was basically generated on that one 48-yard passing touchdown to Tyreek Hill or 52. I can't recall off the top of my head, but one big play, and that was pretty much it for them in this one. And that was kind of like the uh, narrative for them this season, too. But, hey, Antonino, let's move on to third and long. I've been delaying this one. What were you thinking? And we're going to have to talk about 
the Dallas Cowboys. How about them Cowboys? Uh, yep. How about them Cowboys? They looked flat. They got demolished to the Green Bay Packers. 48 to 32. I I mean, I, I don't really want to talk about this one, but I'll let you <laughs> kick it off. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to try and take it easy on you here, but uh, New Year, same DAC. I think you saw the first quarter, zero passing yards in the first quarter. Mm -hmm. And then, like, okay, put statistics aside, you could run the ball, time of possession. Okay, maybe. But the fact that you throw those two inexplicable interceptions, that really hurts you going back the other way, costing your team points. So that's not even on the defense at that point, even though they were getting uh, – Hurt pretty bad there. But, yeah, where do you start? Is it the quarterback? Is it the head coach? Is it the defense allowing over 40 points? I don't even know where to start, but I'm going to let you pick and uh, pick mm. your poison here with the damage. Uh, I think it's too easy to blame Dak every time things don't go Dallas's way. So I will say that pick six that he threw – was inexplicable. It was a poor decision. He did not look off his first read, which was C.D. Lamb in that play, and he tried to force it. He didn't play read the coverage well. The, there was, uh, you know, a cornerback sitting right there, just waiting to pick off that pass. So it was a poor decision by him on that play. The first interception was thrown in Dallas territory. It, it was a great play by the defender. There was an argument there even during the broadcast that it could have potentially been a pass interference or a defensive holding something of that nature because there was a lot of contact happening prior to the throw even being made so you got to give it to the Packers there they, they had a good play on it I think the second one was definitely Dak's fault but you mentioned the defense that's where I place most of the blame for this loss they could not stop the Packers to save their lives. Now, <laughs> there were a few stats that I looked up as we were prepping for this, this conversation because I wanted to find a little bit more uh, on what I saw and have the numbers explain it for me a bit too. So the, the Packers, they averaged 0.39 expected points added per play. So EPA per play, that actually ranked as the sixth highest offensive performance of the season. Now, another stat that I pulled, which was very telling, was with Jordan Love. So he averaged positive 1.05 expected points added per drop back in this playoff debut, which was the sixth most in a single game in this whole next-gen stats error, which was established in 2016. So Love completed all four pass attempts under pressure for 114 yards and a touchdown. My takeaway of that is that, first of all, Dallas's defense couldn't generate a pass rush at all. And when they did try to rush Love, he torched them. He made them pay at all four of those times that they brought a blitz, which it wasn't often. They only blitzed four times because Dallas is used to generating a rush with a four-man down lineman with Micah Parsons and those guys. So, Defense just didn't show up. Um, here, I, I, I'm going to pause, though. Any, anything I said there that resonates with you? 
No, I, I want you to be wide open here because this is more or less therapy for you. I know you got a lot on your, your shoulders there and I want you to let it all out. But uh, I know we can pull a million good statistics for Jordan Love. But just back to Dak and the head coach here. Dak's two and five in the playoffs. Uh, I do want to mention one quote after the game. Oh. He said, if you're going to put McCarthy under the microscope, you should put him under the microscope, too. Well, mm-hmm. You might just get your wish here, buddy, because Jerry Jones was quoted saying after the game as well, this was the biggest surprise that he's seen since he's worked in sports. And this guy's been working in sports his whole life. So this offseason, I feel like anything could happen. And uh, I just hope you can uh, handle what that might be, whether it's a coaching change, quarterback change, who knows at this point. You, you see, here's where I made the mistake, Anton. You know, I'm I'm open to anything. First of all, in response to that, Jerry Jones is an emotional guy. puts his emotions on his sleeve. That's why Stephen Jones and you know this whole Jones lineage helps run this organization. Otherwise, Jerry Jones would just be making all these emotional decisions regarding personnel. But my oh, here's where I did wrong. I started buying into the hype heading into this week. Now. If you know anything from me, I, I would hope that you think that I'm a rational fan, that I temper expectations and not expect too much. Because when I do, that's typically when disappointment will set in. So heading into this week, I started listening to too many of these pundits and these quote-unquote uh, experts talking about the Cowboys. And I will tell you, now retrospectively looking back on it, the narrative was never about the Cowboys beating the Packers or the Cowboys and the Packers in this game. The narrative was always Dallas is going to have two home playoff games, and this is their best shot and their best road to a Super Bowl in the past 30 years or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So I bought into that hype. I came into this game overlooking the Packers to a degree. Now, before kickoff, I was texting my father, who's a Cowboy fan. I said, I don't know, man. I am nervous about this one. Green Bay has Dallas's number. Let's not forget this. They, I think I heard in the broadcast, too, that they've won their past like nine out of ten games against Dallas, something crazy Ooh. like that. Jeez. So it, it was not – they overlooked them. They played flat right from the get-go. You could tell that Dallas was playing with nerves and that they weren't – as focused green Bay came in there playing with nothing to lose. They played free and played with a flow and Dallas was robotic in the whole first half. So it's a, it's a tough loss for Cowboys yeah. fans out there. We're, we're all mourning at this moment. I think. Yeah. As you should be the Packers. They, they have the Cowboys number. I think they've actually won more playoff games in AT&T stadium than the Cowboys have. Oh my gosh, Antonio! That's a tough, come on, tough, tough pill to swallow. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but as you said, the pundits, right? The pundits. Hey, I did. I, I I did go on X and I did go on social media, and I'm already hearing things. RG three is calling for the Dallas Cowboys to hire none other than Coach mm. Prime. Deion Sanders may be making a return here, so stir up the pot. You know, it's going to be a long offseason in Texas, and uh, we already got it going with Bill Belichick rumors, Coach Prime rumors, quarterback changes. There's going to be a lot to talk about all offseason, I have a feeling. Yeah, 
Yeah, there always is with the Cowboys. At least they give us that entertainment, and that's what this is all about, right? I couldn't agree with you more. And something also entertaining, you know, just to end off this down uh, with a little bit more salt for you. At the end of the game, on the last play, I don't know if you caught this. I, I feel bad if you did. But Jordan Love went to go kneel the ball when he did his cadence. What did he say? Oh, Here we no. go. Oh, Here we my go. Gosh. Yep, that's, he did. He did. That's messed up. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that, Anson. You know, I didn't hear it, but I appreciate you trolling me here at the end. Hey, come and join us, the Cincinnati Bengals in the off-season couch. You're more than welcome. We have enough room. Appreciate that. Well, enough agony here. We drew that out way too long, I think. It's fourth and forever, Antonino. Dropping back in the pocket. Looking. There's the Hail Mary. Headed for the end zone. And it is. Time for a Hail Mary. And I want us to focus on that. CJ Stroud, Cinderella Texans continuing their playoff push. They beat the Browns 45 to 14. Let's just spend a few minutes here, not too long, but what are we seeing from these Texans? How are we feeling about this game that they played against Cleveland? You can't talk about the Texans without mentioning C.J. Stroud first. This guy is a dude. Like, he's going out here throwing bombs. He has no fear, no fear at all. There was one play in this game where he dropped back. He throws his ball 70 yards with ease. This guy is a freak, and – 16 for 21, almost 300 yards, 157.2 rating. The dude's a stud, a stud. But uh, I think everyone's excited for the next matchup they're going to have against those Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson, C.J. Stroud. So exciting to see the Texans do well. I'm happy for their head coach, uh, coach of the year candidate. So a lot of good things coming out of Houston, and they might be the best football team in Texas. Oh, God. Come on, Anthony. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Okay, I'm done after that. We're going to be throwing in more jabs after we moved on. Uh, I couldn't you hear it. You hear it here, guys. Antonino's just taking shots at me. I, he's been a good sport all season with his Bengals struggling. We've had to talk about them in rough spots. So, you know, I, I digress. Yes, CJ Stroud, he's been quite quite the story this season uh, and you you pulled a stat too that what he's the youngest quarterback to win a playoff game is that right yeah yeah 22 years young <laughs> you know it was kind of funny we were looking at something the other day about how why why do we evaluate quarterbacks on their age as if they're infants like oh yeah cj stroud is 5,800 something days old. And you know, like, why does any of this matter? But either way, he had a strong game against the Browns. Uh, honestly, though, the Browns were favored going into this one. I think the spread had them by three, three and a half points, something around there. So Cleveland's defense was vaunted going into this matchup. So some people were thinking that Cleveland and that streak that they had coming into the playoffs, they'd be able to ride the hot streak with the defense. The street CJ Stroud lit them up in the first half. And then ultimately this game was decided when Blacko threw back-to-back pick sixes that, that kind of cemented their fate in this one. I was actually in an Annapolis, Maryland bar, so local to uh, the Baltimore area. And when Joe Flacco threw those couple interceptions, that 
bar erupted with cheers. Oh, <laughs> um, I have a feeling not only did they want to see Joe Flacco fail for personal reasons, ha- him That's having played up. for them, but they also knew deep down they would rather see uh, Houston instead of Cleveland and Joe Flacco coming back to Baltimore and having to deal with what we thought, like you said, what we thought was a good Cleveland defense, but we yeah. saw none of that this weekend. This is C.J. Stroud's time to shine. Give Stroud the MVP, and uh, I think I think everyone's happy in Houston, no matter of the awards that come to be. I think everyone's happy with the result of the season thus far. Yeah, I think I would be too. Uh, I know I would be happy if my team won a playoff game. So, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> let's let's wrap this up, man. Let's end it on a positive note. Let's not talk about the Cowboys here either. But I am going to backpedal to the Detroit Lions. Dan Campbell had a rough, rocky start. He was kind of a hijinks, a joke to begin with that that press conference. People didn't take him seriously, especially after the first year and a half under the helm as the head coach of the Lions. However, he remained true to his character, to his values, and his perspective on how he wanted to build this team and its culture. And I'm just reminded of patience. You have to be patient. Not everything is going to be developed overnight. It's going to take some time, especially if you're having to change an entire culture of a franchise that has been built on losing and mismanagement. Oh, and 16 seasons. I'm really impressed with what he has done. And I think we can kind of take take away from that, too. You might not win them all at the beginning. Might be a rough, rocky road to start things off. Just remain patient, continue to build your culture and your brand, and you know, success might be down the pipeline there. All right, man. Well, with that, thank you for joining us for another episode of First and 30. Until next week, remember when your number is called, no matter the odds, just, just go, go for it. it.